I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Maurice O'Keefe. We're returning again to an Irish political dynasty. And in part two, Bridget Hogan O'Higgins tells her own story about being a woman in the Dáil between 1957 and 1977. And being a woman, it was a struggle in those days if you were a politician. This is her own story. But then I, when I left college... Um, uh, there was an election looming. No, there wasn't. There was a by-election, the constituency. Brendan Glynn, who was in my father's practice, was the candidate and Brendan was elected. Well, now, that was the first time I worked. I was about 18 in an election. Sure, I thought, with all the arrogance of the very young, this is a breeze. <laughs> and then I was selected in the 57 election. And... Um, I couldn't see why I wouldn't be elected. Uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. And there was I in the doll at 24, the back of beyond, very sheltered because we were very um, brought up that way. We the governess, we didn't go to national school, you see, which is a mistake. But in those days, they did it. It was sort of the tail end of so the So you Victoria. were very sheltered. In oh, we were, of course. Yes, yeah. So uh, being out in the big open wide world and being in, in the doll in, in politics. Yeah. With, with, with nothing but women, uh, men all over, even the secretarial staff were almost all men. There was Mrs. Randalls of Fine Gael. She was an elderly lady. Her husband was shot in 1932. And she went. there was Mrs. Crowley of Kerry. There was Mrs. Lynch from Dublin. She was Galway originally. And there was Mrs. Ryan from Tipperary. And me. And to me, when you're 24, and these ladies were all over 50, you know, she was I, they didn't know what to do with me or anything. <laughs> and there was one interesting evening. One evening, Pat Cooney said to me, we'll go down to the bar for coffee. And on the members' bar, the Daniel used to shot early, about eight or thereabouts. On the members' bar in those days was deputies and censors only, ladies not admitted. So Pat said, we're going for coffee. We were sitting till about half two in the morning. So we went in, Miss McKeown came along. She said, deputy... I'm sorry, I can't serve you. Deputies are, uh, ladies are not allowed. I said, I'm not a lady, Miss McKeown, I'm a deputy. <laughs> End of story. Uh, so, uh, so did she get her cup of coffee? She we, did, we all got our cup of coffee. She got us a cup of coffee. But uh, working in the Dole at that young age, you were faced with 
uh, incredible, bitterness. incredible bitterness. I'm sure. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, there was De- well, Dave never spoke to me at all, not even on deputations. I thought that was very bad manners. But so that's neither here nor there. There was De- and this, he was awfully blind when I went into the hall and his private secretary when deputations would have to come up from the constituency. He'd say, "This is Deputy Michael Carthy, and this is Deputy Miss Hogan." He'd skip me and shake hands with the next one. But there was so Le- there was that still that that yeah. animosity. Yeah, Mass wasn't. The mm. Mass I remember called me into his office and he said, "I knew your father well." He said, uh, "There were many a times he said I'd have killed him if I got my hands on him, but I didn't, you know." Uh, Le Mass, Owen Ryan, uh, Frank Aiken was in college with my mother and father. Um, who else was? Uh, oh, all these. They, then there were a younger crowd, but up to. Even when I went, even when I was still in the doll, up to about, I suppose the middle sixties, the bitterness had uh, sort of died out. But you know, you'd get it in odd sides of the house all the time. You know. Yes, yes. Uh, talk to me a little bit about. Uh, I, I'm interested in your life, your early days in politics and in in the doll. Um, was there being a young girl inside there? Was that I'm sure there was excitement in, of course, in, 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 of course. in what was happening. Yeah, you were... I, I, uh, I, was fasc- I was always fascinated with politics. I mean, even as a child, small child, I'd follow politics if I could. Once I could read anywhere, English elections, German elections, anywhere. It's a sort of a disease once you become a politician, so you get in, tran- in, involved in this. But I, I did, and I used to study legislation very um, carefully. In those days, mind you, when I got more sophisticated, I knew what paper to look at and what not to look at. Not white papers and green papers and the devil knows what, all papers, you know. But it was fascinating watching in my time in the doll. The, the Cancola has um, a panel of, of people who sit in, obviously the Cancola can't sit in, and you'd sit in for an hour, an hour and a half. Well, I was always on that panel. I think it was for a bit of distraction of originally, see what colour of clothes you wear today, you know. And you had two very senior civil servants in front of you, all legal people, and so you couldn't go wrong. But it was fascinating watching young deputies coming up, you know, and, and you know, saying, God, he, he, he's in the wrong side of the house, he should be in the, in the department of such and such and such, you know. It was fascinating. Side, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, tell me about uh, the Hawhey period because you were. You, yes, I went. It's very interesting. I went to. In, in the year I was elected, there was an invitation by the German government to uh, the Irish government to send deputies under 30. So Charlie Hawhey, Noel Lamas, and myself were selected. <coughs> and uh, Noel. It, um, Sean Lamas said, I'm not letting my son go abroad with Bridget Hogan. So Charlie and myself went off. And um, I didn't know him at all then. I went to, uh, to, um, he, to abroad with him. He, he is incredibly, wasn't those, incredibly brilliant. Incredibly brilliant. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I watched him with the interplay with all the other young uh, parliamentarians and that, and speaking and... Good languages too, but uh, I did know even in those days there was something not quite. He wasn't brought up the way I was brought up, will you say? Our household, you obeyed the law, right or wrong. You obeyed the laws of God. You obeyed the laws of the state, and we we were brought up on those very strict guidelines. 
And uh, there was this ambiguity there with Charlie even and the Asher. Somebody has is due in court in Dublin tomorrow. I'll tell him to jump bail, you know. Oh, that was my first, my God. Experience of yeah. the man, yes. Advising someone yeah. to jump bail and the solicitor, what caught my, it was a advice, what caught my attention was the solicitor was Arthur Cox, my guardian, you know. Not, oh, God, jump bail, you know, in those days. However, he was, he was kind, he was, uh, Charlie, Outside of politics, I became ill. I got food poisoning or something. And one of these interesting situations, there we were in Bonn, and we couldn't get the Irish Embassy after six, and we couldn't get a doctor because the hotel wouldn't go. So Charlie used to send the British Embassy, and they sent over a third secretary or something with the doctor who looked after all. You know, He was kind that way. He, was in, he is incredibly clever. I mean, there's no talking about the past. Why did he get himself involved in, in the... In the arms uh, situation at that time, what, what, arrogance was it? Yeah. Arrogance. I really think that. Also, now he comes from my background, if you like. He comes from a free state background. His father was an officer in the free state government. Sean. Yeah. yeah. And, and his father. So, yeah. I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, then his mother. I think. Oh, they had Northern Ireland. Uh, connections. Well, Castle they? Bars were they? They, they were born, they were but born, I, yeah. they had no other Ireland connections, and they were they were very pro. His mother's people were very pro um, pro uh, pro republic, but um, Charlie, there was a certain amount of ambiguity there. I mean, I could tell his stories, but I'm not going to. He's still alive, and you want to watch the libel laws and the every the other kind of laws. But it is a tragedy that he went down the road he did. Because I, I while he, some people say he was a lovable rogue, I think it's more than that. I think it's more serious than that. I think he corrupt, corrupted politics. He corrupted the guards. And to a great extent, uh, it's per- permeated down the all the, the time. Sure, if it's all right for Charlie High, why wouldn't it be all right for me? Do you follow me? I do, so it, it was the... It was the beginning of... The beginning of, of I couldn't kind of describe to you the sort of people uh, my father was, Kevin O'Higgins was, Paddy McGilligan's, W.T. Cosgrave. They were so Jesuitic in their um, outlook on life. And my husband was the same. The O'Higginses were enormously uh, correct and proper in that line. And awfully forgiving when you think that the old doctor was shot and Kevin was shot. And I never heard any of them, Tom, my brother-in-law, or my husband say anything, you know, derogatory about the people who shot him. It was warfare, and and, and, and well, Kevin's just, wasn't warfare. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, at least you could say the the old doctor was warfare. But walk into a man's house and shoot him dead. Uh, yeah, in his hall, and uh, he he answered the door himself. The the dispensary was off the house, you see, and uh, the housekeeper was just coming across the hall, and one of the girls were coming downstairs. And they came, two men came to the door and the doctor said to them, surely Tom or Pat or whatever, you're not coming to me with the gun in your hand. He turned to walk, if you want to see me come into the dispenser. He turned and they blew to bits with the double bar. And even one of my husband's aunts, Patricia, when she was dying, you know, she was rambling a bit and she was talking about the blood on the ceiling. You know, you blow a person to bits, close reading. So, so I never heard any bitterness on that side. Never heard anything. Michael, my husband, he is, well, Michael, my husband, was so strict and correct and everything that he used to do his own income tax. And as late as two years ago, and he only died last year, 
two years ago. He wrote the income tax and said, I think I... Uh, he should have paid you an extra ten pounds, ten euros. So he sent it off to them. So he was that Absolutely. honest. And at mass straight. every morning, he was in Clongos. Yeah. The Jesuits did a good job on him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, it. Yeah, the yeah. door was an interesting place, yeah. um, full of um, fellows trying it on. You know, what are you doing tonight, Bridges? And then I got married quickly, so that that stopped that. <laughs> And then it's How well, did you meet your husband? Oh, I, knew, I knew him slightly, but I knew him well from the by-election days, before the election I was elected in, Brendan Lynn's by-election, because I was canvassing him with him and that sort of thing, you know. And our parents were friends, so that yes, way. And there was a, in Connemara, Josie Mongan, he was a Fine Gael TD in Karna, and he had a hotel there where all... Uh, the um, Fine Gael people used to congregate on holidays so that the families were always friends, you know. Yeah. They were very nationalists, even when they went abroad. I think they were, they, they, a broad connection was probably wild geese, you know. Which your, your with, grandfather... My, my, with the Hogan's, mm. yes. Yeah. Now, but the... the so, in fact, it, it, at a very early stage, the, the, there was that... Um, political background yeah. and my grandmother's people were very political, they were in the United Irish, uh, Irish movement or whatever, United Irishman and one of them went to America to collect money and uh, there uh, used to be a tradition in the house that he came back and he spilled the money out on the table and my grandmother collected all her eight, 2,000 guineas which in, in you know, the turn of the last century must have been an enormous amount of money an absolute fortune. Yeah, fortune. And how did she collect this money? Yeah, how did he collect it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I suppose the United Irishmen, and they had a, what shall I say, oh, connections yeah. all over the States. I mean, Irish people yeah. emigrated for yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. Now, they were the sort of people that if they were dying of starvation, they'd never have taken a sovereign. Not one. Not one. They were quite comfortably off, you see. People with substantial farms. We had, well, when my grandmother had it, it was about... 600 acres, but by the time it came to me, it was 400 and whatever, 45, Mavis farming, my daughter's farming now. And uh, they, they, but my grandfather now, Michael Hogan, he was uh, elected to the Board of Guardians in Lochray, which would be the town commissioners now, isn't it? Or one of these things, urban council or whatever they are nowadays. So that there was always that interest in politics there. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of all of this is is, is the home place yeah. uh, that 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 became a shrine. In oh yes, sense. yes, and it's interesting. There was a major, the last of the, there was a major trundle. That's the first one I can find in the in in Kilrigal graveyard. He fought in the Boer War, and uh, he he was not married. He was in the British Army, and he had two nephews, James and John Jackson. And he left the property to them. Interesting. He left the property to them, but not his money. Money, And he left his money to the parish equally to the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. And the way it was written in the will, while water flowed and grass grew, the money was to be kept in, invested and kept in perpetuity for the poor of the parish. And when I was a young girl, it was still there. When I was a college girl, it was still there. And I asked uh, Archbishop Casty one time, Father Joe, I said, what happened to that money? And he said, ah, why, were you looking for a few? Well, of course, I thought it was. And, but, you know, it was a huge thing when people were so terribly poor. They could get three or four pounds at Christmas. 
and um, so that, that there was always that tradition of giving in the family, do you follow me? Yeah. Giving of yourself to the community. I think it starts there. So when you were yourself, you were sitting in the doll, I mean, did, did, did you sense your, you know, the people before you, your father well, and the, it's your... It's the funniest thing yeah. ever. I, I went, we, before, it's the custom in, I'm sure it's the custom, but it used to be the custom in, in the doll in my time that um, the parties would meet before the doll assembled and they would select their candidates for the Senate. And you have to, four, you need four nominations for, you know, yeah. for each uh, would-be senator. And anyway, the Fine Gael meeting came along, and I, I mean, I was 24. And from, uh, as James Dillon once described, a remote settlement in the west of Ireland, I was <laughs> didn't endear James to the people in the west of Ireland, whatever. Um, uh, we were very sheltered in that. We, do, we were sent to boarding school, and, you know, uh, when we were growing up, we really weren't allowed to mix much. Or we were, no, no, no. It wasn't on, you know. Yeah, I did. They couldn't say, oh, no. Did you go to national school? Yeah. Just for two years. Yeah, year. I did too. Yeah. I made my Holy Communion. How did you get into politics so young? I was mad about politics. I remember in '44, Liam Cosgrove was elected to the Dáil for the first time, and his father was, you know, on the Dáil. And my mother was in the dining room, and she said to, she was writing, and she said to me, I had a little pink bicycle. What would it have been in '44, 10 or 11 or something? 32, say two from four, 12, I was 12. And she handed me this and she said, um, run up to Mrs. Gynan, that was the post office, and there are two telegrams I want to, to send. And she gave me the money. I think it was a shilling each for a telegram in those days. And I went off my pink bicycle and I knew what they were for. And I, you know, I was mad about politics even then. Huh? Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. I was yeah. mad about politics all the way. So getting voted in wasn't uh, yeah. too difficult? No, it was a strange thing. We had a convention and um, two, uh, Paddy Cawley, who was um, a TD in this area, he was from Crockwell. He served one... F- My father was uh, in till 36. Then there was... Stephen Broadbit was it from Athenry. He was only a short while at TD. Then there was this vast area that we had no Fine Gael TD because the Count Corlow was from this constituency. So there were only two seats and they went best for Fianna Fáil. Then Paddy Cawley was elected in 48. And he, uh, he, he, he's mostly Fine Gael stand two candidates, you know, in three seaters. And his cousin, Brendan Lynn, beat him to the seat. And Brendan was three years in the doll when he lives next door to Nora. He used to live yeah. almost next door. He worked at office. He was solicitor. Yeah, he was yeah. one of his last solicitors in the office. And Brendan was elected and he became ill. I think he got TB or something. He was, wasn't able to. Uh, and he, deci- he had a young family and he decided to get out of this racket. He couldn't do the two, the office and the, the doll, you know. So he retired. And then one evening here, Paddy Cawley called, and um, someone, Seamus Riley, he was a big noise in Fianna Gael, he was a great friend of Collins, he was, Seamus Riley. But Seamus was the typical small farmer, mm. no education but plenty of brains, do you know that's why? Yeah. He'd swear like a blue trooper. I never heard, we see, as I said, we were very sheltered, and there were seven men working in the ward yard, and I never remember any of them saying, oh, Jesus, or anything like that, in front of the children, oh, no. And, uh, but when, anyway, Seamus was there. Anyway, they decided they'd prom- 
My mother was against it. She thought it was, I was too ill. Do you remember that, Nora? She only lived a year after that. Anyway, uh, she, she said, well, let her name go to the convention, sure. There was another young man whose father was a Fine Gael councillor, and he was Joe Lambert. He was should they All the West Galway people thought Joe Lambert would get the nomination, and I got the nomination, about 10 to 1, you know. There was I. Ah. And the next morning I had to make a speech, and Bertie Donoghue, who was the local reporter for Ghana Tribune, wrote out open for me, and it was snowing like hell. The month, uh, the month of February, it was snowing oh, up on the back of a lorry. <gasps> was, uh, uh, so you got up in the back of a lorry? Yeah, and, that's and where you made your, your speeches. speeches. <laughs> and you'd have, but I mean, meetings. There were hundreds and hundreds at them at the oh, fair what, meetings. What, what area that. were you covering? Uh, uh, um, South Gaul. We all South yes. Gaul. That would be a line up to Airport, to Port Tumna, to Kinvara, around Ballinasloan, oh. into uh, you know, back again, uh, Lockray, and that again. But um, I, you see, mm. um, innocence, I suppose, is uh, I didn't see why I wouldn't be elected. I was sure I'd be elected, but I learned the hard way uh, after that that you have to. So I, anyway, I was elected and uh, the meeting was uh, called for whatever. And I went and uh, I was warned that ladies wore hats in Leinster House. So we had great fun getting a hat. I never wore a hat. And... Um, Anyway, I went in and we on the ground floor, Leinster House, and the little and the big uh, meeting room downstairs. We were. I knocked at the door, and um, Victor Carton was sitting on the windowsill. He was a senator. He was a rugby player in his uh, lifetime, and he had a hotel in Dublin. He was a big. Uh, man full of charisma and all that sort of thing. And he was sitting on the radiator on the windowsill and Pat James Rogers from uh, from Leitrim. And Victor threw open the door. Ah, Cora, come in, he said. We're waiting for you all our lives. (laughs) (laughs) And there was only Mrs um, Reynolds, the only lady TD in Fine Gael at that time. Mother Reynolds, as the lads used to call her. And she was... I suppose in her 70s. Her husband was murdered electioneering in the 32 election. Yeah. The year I was born. Canvassing door to door. Door to door canvassing. So were you the youngest? Oh, by uh, gallons, by year. No, I think Charlie had Yes, Charlie was about five years old. No, he came later anyway. But he was about five years younger than me. But I was, I'm sure I was 10 years younger than anyone else. My goodness. um, Okay, so going into the doll. 24 years old, probably your first time in Leinster House. Oh, no. Or were you there? W.T. Cosgrove used to bring us up. Do you remember the photograph, Nora? You weren't in it. Uh, And there's a lovely photograph, and I have somewhere, of uh, Monica, me and Margaret uh, walking across in front of W.T. Cosgrove. He used to bring us up to Dublin, and he'd come down here, and he brought... uh, uh, he brought us into Leinster House for our lunch and that sort of thing. And did you think I'll be here someday? No, no, I did not. But interesting. Uh, the first, uh, the, the, we like, we, uh, John A. Costello was the Taoiseach, go, uh, outgoing Taoiseach. And anyway, we, uh, they elected Fianna Fáil and that and that. And, that. and we, the house sat again, you know, they adjourn for an hour or two and they go up to the Arras and they get their communion medals, as they used to say. And um, uh, we were milling around this place, and this small man came over to me. My name's Dan Breen, he said. I knew your father well, but by God, I knew Michael, Michael Hogan. I tried to shoot him one night, and the fucker, he said, jumped into the Shannon and swam across us. The Hogans were great athletes. And I, he said, I emptied my gun, and I never put a mark on him. 
And that was Dan Breen in 32. In uh, uh, 57. 57. That is incredible. And um, I came back and I I said to Mother Reynolds, who's Dan Breen? So she gave me the, you know his history. I mean, I don't know if you know his history, but it's not great. And uh, so that, that's that was it, interesting. Yes, though, it was. It? But you see, the the, the 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 split, the civil war feelings still, still around. Were. Yeah, it was like. Did Kev- you sense that when you were there? I did, of course. I, I now they said to me, and I did an interview about ten years ago with God knows whom, um, Liam Defoe was it? Yeah, and um, some of these from television. And that question was asked, and I said, yes, I thought the Civil War feelings were very strong. I was quite shocked. And they said, you know, people wrote afterwards and said, I don't know why you were shocked. I mean, you should have been here 10 years before that. But did you think that uh, maybe what helped you greatly was your background? Of course, of course, of course. Everyone would say, sure, I knew your father, I knew James, or I knew Michael, and... I was in college. Well, you know, it did help. And did it do you proud? Were you proud? I mean, sitting down there uh, in the doll and thinking, well, you know, the man that that that, uh, that formed this, that started this, yeah, this yeah, government, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're here. Yeah, we were in opposition, yeah. you see, and I'd look at the front bench and I'd say, I wonder now where my father sat and where Kevin O'Higgins sat. And, you know, you know, you, the ministers really used to sit in the same seat, you know, all yes. the time in those days. And uh, it was interesting. And then everyone was, you know, showing me what to do or how to do it. And if there was anything, this was, you know, putting in questions in my name and just to make it look really interesting and that sort of thing. But did you feel as a woman that you, maybe you didn't, uh, you know, that you were, that the, uh, the men were, were the predominant oh, rulers? Of course, you, were, you see, there were four other ladies in the house. There was Mrs. Reynolds, Mrs. Crowley, or Crowley, I think they call her on Kerry. She was a very fine woman. She never spoke. Uh, Mrs. Lynch, who was originally from Gunvara, she was a teacher in Dublin. Her husband was a Fianna Fáil TD. And later on then, there was Mrs. Ryan. Uh, her husband was a Labour TD. And, and then me. Mm. And, and like all of those, Mrs. Crowley was in her 60s, and Mrs. Lynch must have been the same. And I suppose, you know, and there was me, 24. Yeah. So, so you had to really, uh, I suppose, the... the, the find courage every time oh, yeah. you stood but up. But there was one yes. thing uh, that stood, you know, you see, someone would sit down and three or four would pop up, you know. Yeah. I, I was always called, you know. You know uh, Were you? you? Oh, yeah. The Kian Corla. Uh, Fahey, Frank Fahey, he was from Lockray. He'd always call me. Uh, and I said, they'd be, I was here for the last two and a half hours and this sort of thing, <laughs> waiting. And he said, ladies first. But it was interesting. Sean Lanigan was very good to me, if in a fall TD. George Colley was very good to me when there were ministers. George was an interesting one. George said to me, I had a problem. It's quite as life goes on. This, this is an interesting story. I was sitting there one evening reading, and Mary Mulcairns, my mother's housekeeper, was there, and she said, There are four people outside to see you. So I said, Send them in, Mary. So the, the lady sat on the couch, and the two lads sat on the that couch behind you. Uh, uh, the the uh, young men. So there was a lot of, and, and we they told me their names. They were Mr. and Mrs. Two couples, and they were from um, West Galway, shall we say, but not saying the truth. 
so it wouldn't be pinned down. And they had children in school. And the uh, the problem was that the teacher was interfering. The lads wouldn't say anything, of course. Interfering. They were not much older than I was, about 27 or 8. Young married. Interfering with the children. And, you know, it took me a while to click in. Interfering. I never had or knew anything about um, uh, paedophilia yeah. at that time. Yeah. I mean... I suppose it wasn't. It, wasn't it just I, I, no one knew, Nora. No, That's the truth of it. Never heard of it. I remember looking up the way. Oh, what you heard of? What did you? What it, did you think? Took, what did you feel? In what ways? One of the girls said, "My daughter, the teacher, took her up to the blackboard to write, put a word on the board or something, and she wrote it correctly. And he took her on his uh, he took her in the, on his lap, and he put his hand up her knickers. My God. Yeah. Uh, and I said, "Did you complain?" And uh, yes, we, we went to the priest. The priest was the first cousin of the teachers. The Monsignor, mm. he was the Monsignor. So they did complain to the department. No, I complained to the department. What are you going to do about us? You it weren't long elected at yeah, this stage. Yeah, I was about 25, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah, Michael yeah. wasn't married. I wasn't married, you see. I went back to the doll next, the next week and I said to Pat Lindsay, who I had known for years and years, what am I going to do with this? Well, and so he, of course, a man of the world, he knew that what was going on. So he said, "Go into George Colley and see what he'll do for you." The minister for for um, the ministers come down and go into their offices, as you see, and you can go in and yeah. present them as a civil servant would be there and that sort of thing. And um, anyway, I told George, and he said, "Well, I'll send down an inspector in the morning." So uh, we sat Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And on Thursday evening, we were about to break up and George sent me a note, come to my offices, whatever. And I did. And he said, look, my inspector went down to the school and he found absolutely nothing wrong. And nobody said anything awry. I said, did he speak to so-and-so and so-and-so, the mother of... I gave George the names of the couples. No, he said. Well, now I said, send him down and get him to interview these so, so he did the next Monday before the thought came, and he couldn't get to me quick enough to tell me he had sacked the teacher. Oh well, no, that's. And, but and I, so this this is in the fifties, and even then, you know, I, I, mm. uh, that, the late fifties. Yes, the late fifties. But the, 50s. The, the, the fact that you were uh, aware of something like this, uh. Uh, and you were very anxious to. To do something about I was, it. I mean, you couldn't have anyone's children being, you know. I yeah. mean, and, um, but it, it was nearly acceptable. The teachers could do what they liked. The priests could do what they liked. Yeah. Nuns could do what they liked. And the guards could do what they liked. To but, a great extent. In those but in those days, nobody stood up no. and, and said, you know, well, you're... Afraid they were yeah. afraid to. Yeah. My mother, our mother, went in to the bishop. When we were little, Nora... Because Monica and I were brought in the next Sunday for lunch, who was dying, and she went in to talk to the bishop about the treatment of the altar boys in Kilrilly. And you know what the treatment was? They were being raped, every altar boy. And an old man here about Johnny Carson. Oh, yeah. About how long did he be dead? About 20 years ago. He spoke to me before he died. And he said, Tell me, did we, did we do it? Here you're talking to now. Fellows that left school at 15 or 14 and never went further, but were clever people. Did we do anything wrong to, to draw him to us? Not at all, I said. I often wondered, you said, why well, your brother never had to serve Mass. <laughs> My mother wouldn't. But Dr. Dyden wouldn't hear of it. Oh, it couldn't happen. Yeah. 
Well, no, that is an extraordinary story. But uh, so your time in the doll, then I mean, you, it was, uh, you know, yeah, it, I got it, the, it's a whole fantastic whole, story, yeah. I suppose. But George told me, if you have any problem like that, or any really serious problem, yeah, come into me and I'll straighten it out. And by Jove, he did. I give him that. Yes. He was very good to me. I mean, those days they, they weren't quick to do favours for the opposition, you know. Yeah, and he was good. Uh, Sean Flanagan went into education after that. He was marvellous. Yeah. Sean didn't give a damn uh, for God or man, you know. He was an extraordinary man. He was a solicitor in Castlebar, was it, or somewhere like that. He was a GA man too. Yeah. He hurled for the county. And um, he was great. He was very, anything that would improve the schools, you know, he was great. And he'd give you tips. Of, uh, and he said to me, when, you know, what was, I'll have to, he'd send for me and say, what, would you know anything about this and this and this? I'll have to, um, I'll have to talk to you about the condition of such and such a school and that sort of thing. But one day he said to me, now, when I was leaving his office, he said to me, um, Bridget, do me a favour. There are some ministers in this, in this cabinet and do not shut, the, shut their doors when you're in there. Don't shut the door. Don't shut the door. What did he mean by ah, that? Ah, it took me a while to... Account. He said, you don't want to be running around the desk, do you? And he mentioned two ministers. I couldn't say it really. <laughs> and I have no two senior ministers, senior to Sean, uh, to Sean, uh, to George Galley. But uh, I, you know, women were should be seen and not heard, and that was very much the the thing in the doll in my time. And I, I did speak fair bit, fair bit. Uh, but um, I could get a lot more done by going into the minister's office. You know, and saying, look, have a look at this, or we're like, well, can you do this for that school or the other school or yeah. whatever, you know. And I did speak a good bit, but I never suffered. And they were all at that stage, at the beginning of the burning their bras and going up to Belfast and that sort of thing. I never felt unequal, you know. I had, I had a salary I had before I was in politics. I, you know, I had to farm and la, 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 la. You know, yeah. I was used to having oh, independence. Did you have a car? Oh, yes, I had. Uh, what, what does it mean to you to have such a... Uh, an interest. Uh, your background, you know, the Hogans and, and the Higginses, I mean... Well, it's very interesting. It is. And, you know, you know what they wanted for the country and you wonder how much of it will ever be achieved in your lifetime. You know, that way. Yeah. You know. Well, I don't see us getting, not in my lifetime, nor in my children's lifetime, getting a nice adult. In fact, I think it's gone way, way down the list of priorities for people now. I don't yeah. think And if you uh, do, you do you still see that the, the, there is um, a time when maybe the thirty-two counties might? Uh, is that something that you? I think uh, I think Britain would be delighted to get rid of them. Cost them a fortune. Uh, I don't think a lot of the Catholics in the north want to come down either. Anyway, the church, to my mind now, and this is my purely mind, the church has lost. A lot of moral authority. It's not the church anymore. There's a whole lot of them now. Yeah. Do you know it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Bridget, and 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 to be able to come down here to your house this morning and meet you. 
Bridget Hogan. Oh, Higgins. Oh, Higgins. You see, when I was elected, I was Bridget Hogan. Yes. And then, for that doll, I was Bridget Hogan, though I was O'Higgins. Do you follow me? I do. So then they slotted us in. Was it important to you to keep the Hogan? Of course. Of course it was. This, uh, um, there was an old man that, uh, down there, and uh, uh, he had a big family. Oh, he was an abbey. And he, he had a big family, seven or eight huge men, six foot, four or five. Uh, sons and he was sort of coming to the end of his life and they were at Christmas meal one Christmas day and he sat down and he was using a stick at that time when the, the main meal was cleared off he, they sat down they were talking and he took his stick and he banged the table and he said everyone in this house will vote Hogan if there's a Hogan on the ticket <laughs> <laughs> and years later I heard that years yeah. and years later thank you very much thank, thank you, you Maura You've been listening to A Woman in Politics, Bridget Hogan O'Higgins, 1957-1977. I recorded Bridget on two different occasions, one in the Cistercian Monastery in Ross Cray, and that was in 2005, and then again I met her in 2013 at her own home in Loch Ray. So you've been listening to excerpts taken from both interviews. And if you'd like to avail of the full interview with Bridget, they're available on our website. And you'll find them there at Irish Life and Lore. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.